Yesterday we celebrated the memorial of St. Irenaeus. He was uh, born in the Greek-speaking East about 130 A.D. and became bishop of Lugdunum, uh, now called Lyon in France, in the Latin-speaking West. He died there in the year 202 during the persecution of the emperor Septimius Severus. It's one of the great ironies of, one of those amusing ironies of church history, that Irenaeus, whose name means peaceful one, turned out to be a fierce theological warrior against a virulent distortion of the gospel called Gnosticism. Ours is a culture of religious pluralism and tolerance that values all kinds of diversity and tolerance for theological opinions and beliefs, religious, non-religious, even anti-religious. So it might be a little difficult for us to understand what was at stake in Irenaeus' fight against the Gnostic cult. What did it, did it really matter? The answer is that it mattered because words matter, and behind words lie ideas, and these matter too because words and ideas either serve the truth or they distort it. The Gnostics were radically changing the content of divine revelation through the ideas and vocabulary that they picked up from Persian dualism and Greek mystery religions. The heart of the problem for the Gnostics was created matter, the cosmos, the natural world, the human body. These things, said the Gnostics, were all creations of a lesser evil god that they called the Demiurge, a word they borrowed from Platonic and Neoplatonic philosophy. The body, they said, was a prison for the soul, excess baggage, as it were, that had to be discarded so that the soul could be liberated. We're saved, they said, out of the body and out of the world for a disembodied existence in a purely spiritual realm. There's very little support for these, if any, for these ideas in Scripture, in particular the Gospels, where God gets involved in our salvation precisely by becoming a human body. So minimizing this argument, the Gnostics did a runaround by insisting that Jesus taught secret doctrine to an elite core of disciples. Irenaeus understood what was at stake in this toxic metaphysical brew were the three central doctrines of Orthodox Christianity, the incarnation of the Logos, the cross of Christ, and his resurrection from the dead. If the created world and the body were unimportant in the drama of salvation, Christ could not and would not possibly have become a human being. No Christmas. Good Friday would be an elaborate scam played by a trickster god who never really suffered, it never really died, and therefore never really rose again from the dead. No Easter either. Gnosticism was immensely popular and at one point threatened to become the dominant form of Christianity. To fight this pernicious teaching, Irenaeus decided to write a book. And he knew that he would have to demonstrate how Gnostic teaching was false. And then he had to establish as the rule of truth the legitimate teaching of the gospel passed down from the apostles. The book was called Against the Heresies. His arguments were so persuasive that within a hundred years or so, Gnosticism had virtually ceased to exist. And Irenaeus, 
a victim of his own success, was rarely read until recent times when Gnosticism has made something of a comeback with the Da Vinci Code, the fanfare over the Gospels of Thomas and Judas, and the Jesus Seminar. Well, you may be a little confused at this point because I have been talking about yesterday's feast, but today's feast is the Solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. But it is not by chance that these two liturgical celebrations appear back-to-back on the Roman calendar. And that is because Irenaeus not only tells us why we are celebrating these two apostles on the same day, he also tells us what this celebration means, especially for those of us in the 21st century. In the course of his long argument, Irenaeus shows that the Church is one because it celebrates one Eucharist and shares one faith. And this unity could be demonstrated, he said, by pointing to the succession of the legitimate bishops in each of the local churches. These were bishops who taught the one faith, passed on to them by bishops who learned it from the apostles, who learned it from the Savior himself. And Irenaeus was one of these bishops. He learned the faith from the bishop martyr St. Polycarp of Smyrna, who learned it from St. John the Apostle. We call this apostolic succession. It's the guarantee that what we hear in the Gospels, recite in the Creed and celebrate in the liturgy is the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. And this is where Saints Peter and Paul come in. Irenaeus Irenaeus wrote that the chief example of apostolic succession was to be found in the city of Rome where Peter and Paul preached and died. Here's what he wrote in Against the Heresies in Book 3, Chapter 3. Since it would be too long to enumerate the apostolic succession of all the churches, we shall point out here the succession of the bishops of the greatest and most ancient church known to all, founded and organized at Rome by the two most glorious apostles, Peter and Paul. That church, which has the tradition and faith which comes down to us, after having been announced to men by the apostles. For with this church, because of its preeminent authority, all churches must agree, that is, all the faithful in the whole world. And it is in her that the faithful everywhere have maintained the apostolic tradition. Then he follows with a list of the successors to Peter as bishops of Rome. Irenaeus is telling us why the churches of the East and West have celebrated this solemnity before the year 258, when there is evidence of an already ancient tradition of observing the feast of St. Peter and Paul on the same day, going back perhaps to the first century. He's also telling us that this solemnity means what it means for those who live the faith 1,800 years after uh, his martyrdom. It means that Rome is both the center and the guardian of the church's peace and unity, a privileged witness to the apostolic tradition. It means that the faith is not something we have invented, but something that was handed down to us by people who taught it, lived it, and died for it down through the centuries, that it is a faith worth dying for because it is a true faith. Moreover, this is public faith, not private wisdom. There is no secret doctrine hidden in the creed, but a belief publicly publicly confessed by the church and handed down through the witnesses like Peter the fisherman and Paul the tent maker. 
And lastly, the church is not merely an indiscriminate collection of believers, but at its core, the church is nomadic, that is, guided by the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of the faithful handing on of the truth of the gospel from age to age. We learn from St. Irenaeus that words and deeds actually matter, and this is why observing the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul matters. It is the affirmation that what we believe was true in the first century as it was in the 10th century is also true today.